0: Good morning. Good morning. Hello, Purpose Church. Welcome to Fairplex. How are we doing? Woo. Woo, man, we are so glad that every single one of you is here with us, and we just know that God has something very specific that he wants to say to each of you. You know, I want to, uh, I want to begin with asking you a question. It goes like this. Have you ever seen anything or, or experienced anything that just absolutely blew your mind? Like, like after you watch it, you said, I have never seen anything like that before. Maybe, maybe it's a team of yours that you just absolutely love and, and you thought they had no chance and all of a sudden they rise to the playoffs and they become the champions. Or, or maybe a friend of yours shared with you about a story or a recent vacation or an adventure they took and you said, I didn't even know people did that kind of stuff. That's incredible. Or, or maybe your kids, maybe you've got kids or grandkids and, and you've seen your kids do something you go, who does that? Like, are those even my genetics? That's incredible. I remember my, uh, my son, my oldest son, when he was three years old and my middle daughter, Brinley, was a year and a half. We were at a wedding and they were hanging out and they were uh, playing. My son, my three-year-old son was playing with a four-year-old boy and they were kind of tossing out some hacky sacks at each other and having some fun. And then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, the four-year-old got upset for some reason. And the four-year-old pushes my son Charlie. Now, I sit back and I'm like, this is awesome, right? This is amazing. Because I get to watch to see how this kind of plays out. I'm like, you know, we talk about loving your enemies, this crazy idea. And we'll just see what happens. We'll see how how he handles this. And Charlie, man, he's like the most sensitive, amazing boy. He just starts crying, right? Just starts like, just crying. And I'm like, oh, man. And so I'm about ready to go in to help, to make the situation better. And then Brinley, who's my one-and-a-half-year-old daughter at this time, we actually call her the tank. And I know you're thinking, Eric... Look, Parenting 101, don't call your daughter a tank. You know what I mean? Like, it's just not going to go well. Spend some time with Brinley, and you'll understand what I mean. Girl's crazy, okay? She's strong. She's brave. So the tank, at a year and a half, just learning how to walk, she walks over behind this four-year-old, and no joke, she pinches him in the shoulders, right? Homie drops to the ground, man. It was amazing. It was incredible. I went, are you serious? This is wonderful. But then, then... My kids continue to grow up, and they continue to do awesome, incredible things, and Brindley has overcome bigger obstacles than that, and, and teams that we love and, and accomplishments that we experience, they get outdone, and, and maybe that, that friend that told us that story, well, there's a new story, and it seems like, you know, the longer you're around in life, you just see things get better, and, and then things change, and, but this morning, this morning, we get to celebrate the weekend that changed everything. We get to celebrate a story on Resurrection Sunday that has never been outdone and will never be undone. You see, we're celebrating a story that began back in the year 4 B.C. A boy by the name of Jesus of Nazareth was born into a a seemingly insignificant place at a seemingly insignificant time. And there was already a king and a ruler of that day He was Caesar. And Rome called all the shots, but this baby boy, Jesus of Nazareth, was born. And as he grew up, people recognized that there was something different about him. They called him teacher. They called him prophet. And he began to drop these hints that that soon on Friday, he would actually be murdered. And that by his death, he would forgive the sins of the world. He told everybody, I'm actually God in a bod, and I've come to do an incredible miracle, an incredible work. And on the third day, on the third day, I'm going to rise from the grave and prove that everything I said and everything I did was from God. You see, but Jesus didn't just come for that. He actually came for you. You see, his plan from the very beginning was not just to win Israel back from Rome. That's what, that's what the people expected him to do. He had a much larger vision and mission, and it was to win the human heart back from sin. And not just the human heart, but your heart and my heart. You see, Jesus showed up on planet Earth knowing that he would ultimately end up on a cross for you and for me. You see, Jesus did for you what only he could do. And and maybe you're going, well, how how is that true? Or why should we believe that? Well, there's this writer of the book of Hebrews in the New Testament. And he's, he's writing to a group of people who, they have some bigwigs. They have some godfathers in their religion. They've got Abraham, and they've got Moses, and they've got priests, and they've got important people. And so they're asking the question, well, why the heck do we need Jesus? What difference Is he from all the rest? And this writer of Hebrews goes, oh, you guys haven't got it yet. You haven't quite yet understood that Jesus did for you what only he could do. And so in Hebrews chapter 7, beginning in verse 23, he says it this way. Now there have been many of those priests since death have been prevented from continuing in office, but because Jesus lives forever, because Jesus lives forever. He has a permanent priesthood. See, the big idea here, big idea number one is this. The reason that Jesus did for you what only he can do is because he lived forever. Spoiler alert, it's coming in a few minutes with Pastor Glenn. Jesus ain't dead anymore. But he rose from the grave. You see, Jesus wasn't all taught. He put his money where his mouth is and he rose from the grave. And he did what no one else did could do. The writer continues, he says, therefore he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Scripture says that Jesus saves us completely. You know what the big idea here is? Is that Jesus did for you what your salary can't do. Jesus did for you what your marriage can't do. Jesus did for you what your kids, what your outcome, what your retirement account, what your adventures, whatever kind of journey you're on, Jesus did for you what none of those could do. He saved you and he saved me completely. And then finally, finally, such a high priest talking about Jesus truly meets our need. One who is holy blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Unlike the other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people, and then catch this, this is where it just gets so good. He, Jesus, sacrificed for their sins once and for all when he offered him You see, when it comes to your salvation, when it comes to changing your eternal destination, when it comes to the most important day in your life, Jesus did not send a substitute. He sent himself. God did not say, I'll call this one in. We'll mail this one in. No, no, no. God said, I'm going to show up for every single one of my people. And that's what he did for you. And around the year 30 A.D., Jesus finds himself on a Roman execution device. And he's been hanging there for about six hours, taking each breath in and each breath out. And his final words, as it's recorded in John chapter 19, verse 30, the last thing that comes out of Jesus' mouth is this, it is finished. See, when Jesus says, it is finished, he's talking about your sin and my sin, finished. Finished. The slavery that each of us are in by our sin that's handcuffed to us that we can't do anything about. He says, it is finished. Just like he left heaven, came to earth like no other story, like no other religion tells. He's saying, I came for you that your sin might no longer be the leader and ruler of your life, but my resurrection and my forgiveness would be. And so Jesus says, it is finished. You see, Jesus stares death and Satan and sin in the face and he says, you are finished. And it's personal. You know, if your kids aren't involved in our Purpose Kids ministry, you've got to get them plugged in there. Because there's incredible things going on. My four-year-old son, Charlie, he said to me this week, he said, Hey, Dad, Dad, it wasn't the nails that kept Jesus on the cross. He said, It was his love for you that kept Jesus on the cross. I said, That boy's going to be a preacher, man. Yeah. Are you kidding me? It wasn't the nails that kept him up there. He could have gotten down if he had wanted to. No, no. It was his love for you and his desire to be reconciled to you. And so friends, remember that when Jesus is up on the cross, he's thinking about you. He's thinking about the sin. He's thinking about all of it. And he screams, it is finished.
1: There we go. You ever wonder what happened Saturday, though? We always talk about Good Friday. We talk about Sunday. No one ever writes about Saturday. We don't discuss it. We don't have a service on Saturday. Because that's Saturday where everything seems hopeless, that everything that we thought, we knew. Imagine we're the disciples, that for three years or so, we, we gave up everything to follow him. And the miracles that he's doing is blowing our mind. But even more than that, the things that he's teaching is is leaving us speechless. And we're going, this really, could be him. And Peter even had the nerve to say, no, you're the Christ. You're the one that we've been waiting for. And that in their minds, they pictured the Christ coming as as a ruler on earth to save them from the tyranny of the Roman Empire. And yet on this Friday... They're watching him dying on a cross. And even to hear the three words, it is finished, then maybe in that moment they're thinking, okay, he's coming down. Like he's going to come off the cross. Something miraculous is going to happen. And yet when he screamed that out, he hung there lifeless. Not too long after that, a Roman guard comes up and, and jams a spear up into his chest cavity. And it's over. See, when he screamed out, it is finished. I wonder if the disciples that were watching at a distance, three women especially, they're watching at a distance. They may have heard him say those words. But I wonder if in their hearts and in their minds that all they could think of was, it's over. What we thought was going to happen, it's over. See, I think a lot of us have done Friday. We've hit the crisis. And because of the crisis, we live in hopelessness. But have you ever moved on to Sunday. See, to stay in one place, to stay in Saturday, you don't know what to say, you don't know what to think, you don't know what you're supposed to do. So can you imagine the conversation, or lack thereof, on Saturday? As the disciples that are hiding in a room, they used to walk boldly with this Jesus, who's the most bold and courageous human to ever walk the planet. They used to walk with him, and now they're hiding behind locked doors. I think the day stayed mostly silent, because they didn't know what to say. Maybe they came up with this plan. In Mark chapter 16, verse 1, when the Sabbath was past, Mary Magdalene Mary the mother of James and Siloam bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. See, they weren't going there to see Jesus alive. See, you may be here and maybe you were tricked into coming or you were guilted into coming. It's like that one time out of the year. Maybe for some it's like, "Wow, well, I'll do it one time a year. That's good. I mean, either way, you might sit there and go, well, the one thing I have, this is one of the major things I have, one of the problems I have with Christianity is that you're actually saying that somebody came back from the dead. Can I encourage you? You're in great company because no one else believed it even when Jesus was there. He told all of his disciples. And yet on the day that he comes back from the dead, his disciples aren't standing out there with these big poster boards going, welcome back from the dead. They're not saying, oh, oh, 10, 9, it's going to happen No one believed it, they're all in a room So if you're sitting there going That's the hardest thing for me to believe You're in great company Because these three didn't go to see a risen Jesus They went to go anoint a dead one And then it goes on from there Verse 3, I'll I'll skip a verse And they were saying to one another Who will roll away the stone for us From the entrance of the tomb Now think about it Think about what they'd seen They'd seen Jesus standing and multitudes coming just to listen to what he had to say. And from those multitudes, people that were paralyzed were healed and walking home. People that couldn't see were going home seeing on their own. They couldn't hear and they could hear. People that are possessed by demons, are, are, they're, they're freed. You're seeing Jesus looks at a storm, tells it to shut up and it obeys. Then Jesus says, "All, oh, one up that sucker and I'm going to walk on top of it. Then he feeds thousands of people, five loaves, two fish. He takes a little girl who had just died and brings her back from the dead. He takes one of his closest friends who'd been dead for days and brings them out of the tomb alive. And all that these, all that these women can say is, who's going to move the rock? Who's going to move the rock? Because if Jesus were here, he would just command it to move and it would move. But now that he's dead, we can't even figure out who's going to move a rock. Now, here's good old Mark. And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. Good job, Mark. Just to make sure you understand, it's a big old rock. Okay, big old rock got moved. Verse 5. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. The Greek word for alarm, there it is, ah, because there's no reason. I mean, think about it. You walk in and some dude's just sitting there on a rock. It's like, how y'all doing? I mean, it's like, why would you be here in the tomb? They're alarmed. They're terrified. Now, watch what he says. He said, don't be alarmed. Oh, okay. You seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He has risen. Here's the thing. I wish I could be in heaven when I saw the Father look at whatever angel this was and say, I got this sweet assignment for you. Okay, what is it? This is huge. You're going to be the first one to tell some people that he's come back from the dead. Oh, that's too big. Send Michael. No, he's already got enough. Send Gabriel. No, he's always singing. Okay, so who do I send? I'll send you. Oh, I don't know what to say. Well, just go down there and practice. Three words. That's all you got. He has risen. Risen has. No, that's not it. Okay, figure it out. He has risen. I got that. No, he's just sitting there. He hears, woman, he hears the woman coming close. And he's like, oh my gosh, this is it. And he looks at him. Can you just picture his face? I don't, think he's, I don't think he's boring. I don't think it's just like this monotonous tone. I think he's looking, going, I know. You're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. That boy in here. He has risen. Have you ever noticed what God can do when he counts two, three? He has risen. It is finished. He has risen, when God counts to three, Friday, Saturday, Sunday happens. I remember when my boys were starting to swim and get a little bit more uh, bold, and they had all these floaties all over them. I said, I'm, I'm in the deep end, no more shallowing, come on. And I say, hey guys, jump to me. I want to prove I'm a good dad. <laughs> okay, so okay, here, on the count of three, guys, here we go. And I go, one, two, and they're right on the edge. Their legs are all shaking. I'm like, well, that doesn't make me feel better. And I go, three. And they're like, four. Five. I'm like, I'm a cruddy dad. Like, my boys don't even trust me that I'll catch them. And they got all the little floaty junk on. So I I think I got to like 706. And I'm still counting. I'm like, guys, trust me. Trust me. And so I was like, one. Two, I get to two. I don't know if God pushed them over. They just lost their balance. And all of a sudden, they jump in. And I dropped them. I'm just joking. I catch them. Catch them. First thing out of their mouth. Daddy, will not do that again. I just fling them back to the side. I got to one the next time. One, bam, and they're up on my face. Why? Because when you know dad will catch you on three, you don't need three anymore. You just go one. You don't even need one. You just get out and jump. And for some of you, you haven't noticed that. You haven't experienced that. Why? Because you're still living in Saturday. You're still living on a hopelessness rather than the hope that comes with Sunday. See, the life that God wants you to experience, it came because Friday he paid in full. And Saturday he laid in a grave. But death couldn't handle him. And the grave couldn't hold him. And on Sunday, he came back from the dead. And I believe that angel said, he has risen. And so when I looked at my boy, he says, guys, on three. One, two, three. And they experienced this new thing they'd never experienced before. I wonder for how many of you, God's just sitting there going, you stayed on two long enough. One, two, what will you do when he gets to three? Because what God does when he counts to three is unbelievable. Friday, one. Saturday, two. Sunday, Three.
2: there was a woman who was looking out the window, and she noticed that her German shepherd was shaking the life out of the neighbor's rabbit. Her family had been quarreling with this, these neighbors uh, for like a long time, and this was certainly gonna make matters worse. I mean, their dog kills their rabbit. How much worse can neighbor relations get? She grabbed a broom, ran outside, started hitting the dog until he dropped the rabbit. Now the rabbit's covered with dog spit and extremely dead. The rabbit is dead. She knew that she had to act fast to cover up the crime, so she lifts up the rabbit with the end of the broom and brought it into the house. She dumped its lifeless body into the bathtub and turned on the shower. After she cleaned him up, she found her hair dryer, blew the rabbit dry. Using an old comb, she groomed the rabbit until he looked pretty good. Then when the neighbor wasn't looking... She hopped over the fence, snuck across the backyard, and propped him up in this cage. There was no way she was going to take the blame for this thing. About an hour later, she heard screams coming from the neighbor's yard. She ran outside, pretending she didn't know what was going on, and asked, what happened? Her neighbor came running to the fence. All the blood was drained out of her face. And she cried out, our rabbit, our rabbit, she cried. He died two weeks ago, and we buried him. And he's back! He's back! There are two great mysteries in human history. Uh, Two great mysteries. Mysteries that have baffled historians for centuries. Number one is this. How did half the population of Jerusalem, 125,000 out of 250,000 people, become believers in the resurrection within a few years after it happened? How did 125 highly skeptical people, uh, they were not superstitious people there in the Jewish faith. They were highly skeptical, particularly of anybody claiming to be God in human form. How did half the city of Jerusalem, 125,000 people, within a few years of the resurrection, become believers in the resurrection? This has mystified historians for centuries. And then the second mystery is this. How did a group of scared, scattered, and skeptical cowards on Saturday become a group of world changers 24 hours later on Sunday? How did that happen? This has been a mystery that historians have struggled with. People will die for what they think is true. We saw that on 9-11, didn't we? With two uh, airliners going into the twin towers of the World Trade Center. People will die for something they think is true, but people will not die For something they know to be a lie. And the disciples were in the position to know whether it was true or false, whether he had indeed risen or he had not. And every single one of them, except for one who was exiled by the Roman government for the remainder of his life, every single one of them died, were executed for proclaiming that Jesus had risen from the dead. People will die for something they think is true. They will not die for something they know to be a lie. Now the answer to those two mysteries of history, the answer to those two mysteries is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus didn't just rise from the dead and go straight to heaven. He hung around for 40 days. He met with people. He had meetings. He preached. He spoke one time to a group of 500 people at the same time. He appeared to his brother James, like Pastor Lisa was saying earlier. If you can convince your brother that you've risen from the dead, you can convince anybody. And next week, we're going to have so much fun uh, at the Claremont campus, at the Pomona campus, digging into the book of James that was written by the brother of Jesus. Did you know a book of the Bible was written by the brother of Jesus? And it's like like our favorite book, isn't it? It's just an awesome, awesome book that we're going to be teaching on, uh, verse by verse, going through to what he has to say. And he wrote this book 30 years after the resurrection, a year before the brother of Jesus, James, he was executed for his belief in the resurrection. And so, a year before he was killed by the Roman government, he, 30 years after the resurrection, he wrote the book of James, and we're gonna be studying it last week. So, he appeared to his brother James. Uh, he had dinner with people. He even cooked breakfast for the disciples. How about that? How would you like to have breakfast cooked for you by Jesus? He, he hung around for 40 days. That explains why 125,000 people half the population of Jerusalem were followers of Jesus and the resurrection within a short amount of time. Why? Because they had either seen him themselves, they were either eyewitnesses themselves, or somebody they knew and trusted had seen him. So they either had seen him himself or somebody they knew and trusted had seen him. And that explains the historical miracle of the fact that 125,000 followers from these scared group of depressed people after Friday and into Saturday. It's because of Easter Sunday. Now, one of those events, those resurrection events, is recorded by a doctor, a medical doctor by the name of Luke, and it's there in your study outline. Now, that same day, that is the day of the resurrection, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up And walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. Just like Brian said, they were still stuck in Saturday. Even though it was now Sunday, they were still stuck in Saturday. One of them named Cleopas asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? Basically, they're saying... Are you not from this planet? Uh, where, where have you been? You don't know what's been going on. Are you not from this planet? And Jesus said, well, as a matter of fact, I'm not, you know. Have you been living in a cave all weekend? Jesus, as a matter of fact, I have been living in a cave all weekend. Did you just come from under a rock? Yeah, as a matter of fact, I, I did just pop out from under a rock. Yeah, and then Jesus messes with them a little bit. I love this. What things, he asked. Isn't that awesome? He goes, what things? about Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. Just like Brian said, they had counted to three. One, two, three, and nothing had happened. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, how foolish you are, and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory?" And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in the Scriptures concerning himself. All through what we call the Old Testament. The Old Testament is the part of the Bible before Jesus. It's 39 books. And so he went through these 39 books, the books of Moses that Moses wrote. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Uh, The books of the prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Nahum, Habakkuk, Obadiah, Zephaniah, Haggai, uh, all, all 39 and he went through these scriptures about and showed what they said concerning himself. This is what was the mother of all Bible studies. I mean, can, can you believe that? We've been talking about the mother of all bombs this week. Uh, this is the mother of all Bible studies, the mother of all classes. How many would like to take Old Testament survey taught by Jesus? How awesome would that be? Okay. But he answered the questions they had intellectually. And if you have questions in your head, maybe, maybe you're kind of a left-brained person and you, you're more analytical. It's kind of like you're not ruled by your emotions. You're kind of more, uh, give me the facts. Give me evidence for this. And that's what he gave for them. And he gave them the answers for, that they had intellectually from their head and he'll do the same for you. You see, there are 2,000 prophecies that have been fulfilled completely in great detail in the Bible. 2,000 prophecies about names and dates and countries and nations and cities and world events fulfilled down to the detail. Most of them, all of them almost, given hundreds of years in advance. Uh, some of them uh, given thousands of years in advance. There's one prophecy about the creation of the state of Israel in modern times that uh, people, many of you may have been alive for, that was predicted 2,800 2,800 years ago to the exact day that it happened. Two thousand fulfilled prophecies, three hundred of those were about Jesus, and I believe that 's what he taught them from the Old Testament. these three hundred prophecies about himself. Did you know the chances that just seventeen of those two thousand prophecies could happen by accident are one chance in four hundred billion times a billion times a trillion that, that just accidentally coincidentally seventeen of those two of those could be fulfilled accidentally, and yet two thousand prophecies fulfilled he answered their questions intellectually and he'll do the same for you he may not answer every question but he'll answer enough that you have evidence beyond a reasonable doubt enough that would stand up in a court of law enough evidence to make a decision on he'll do that for you as they approached the village to which they were going Jesus continued on as if he was going farther but they urged him strongly stay with us and that's what I'm going to ask you to do in just a couple of minutes. I'm going to read a, a prayer out loud. And I'm going to pray that prayer out loud. And I'm going to invite you to pray it silently as I pray it out loud. And, and, and this prayer is basically just what these two men said. They urged him, stay with us. And I would encourage you to do the same thing. There's a verse in the Bible where Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door of your heart and I knock. If anybody hears my voice, and opens the door of your heart i will come into your heart and live within you and walk with you through the ups and downs and the good times and bad times and the crises of life i will be there with you you just got to open up your heart and i want to encourage you to do the same thing you're not here by accident it's not an accident that some family member or some friend um, you know, invited you here, and, 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 and maybe you just felt guilty to saying no to them, or just it felt like okay i 'll just kind of do this this once and it 'll be done with, and i 'll get that friend or that family member off my back, or maybe they promised you they 'll buy Easter brunch afterwards, or i, I don 't know i don 't know what it was uh, for you. Maybe you saw some advertising, you just said, ah, i 'll just kind of check it out but it 's not an accident that you 're here. It is by divine appointment god knew that you were going to be here easter sunday 2017 he prepared this beautiful site for you he kept snow on mount baldy till april 16th just for you he packed it in there and he kept it there until a the late easter so you could look out there and that's his sign he's saying to you from his creation i love you i invited you here will you open up the door of your heart will you do like these men They urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. You don't know how many more days you're going to have. These two young guys have a lot more days than I have, mainly, you know. Life insurance would be much better spent for for them than for me. You guys have a good actuary, what do you call it, your tables and stuff. Really good for them. Not so good for me. Especially with high cholesterol and blood pressure and all that kind of stuff. These guys are going to live a long time. I don't know how many days I have. I don't know how many days you have. And he says here, the day is almost over, so he went to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us. Let me ask you over the last few minutes, has there been a burning in your heart? Was there something line from one of the songs? Or was there a moment of worship? Maybe it was the, the scripture that Babs read earlier from John. Um, maybe it was something that Eric or Brian said. And, and, and for just a moment, you, you felt a flicker in your heart. They said, we're not our hearts burning within us he answered the questions of their heart. And he'll do the same for you. Uh, I love this line. Uh, Eric texted it to me a couple of days ago from a song. We love elevation worship here, church out of North Carolina. And We sing a lot of those songs here at Purpose Church. And, and the lines for one of the songs goes like this. We will not be moved when the earth gives way. Do you feel like there's a, a, a crisis going on right now in, in your marriage? Or the earth is moving is you as a parent or as a grandparent? Or do you feel like there's a financial crisis and the earth is moving and, and, and it's been shaken up in your life? Or you lost a job or you got a tough report from the doctor? It says, We will not be moved when the earth gives way, for the risen one has overcome. And for every fear, there's an empty grave, for the risen one has come. What are you afraid of here today? Is there a fear that you have in a relationship? In, in a situation in your health, or in your finances, or at work, a job, or you're a student and you're thinking about that test that's coming up, or that exam, or that class, and you just can't seem to understand what's going on in it. And that line of that song says, "And for every fear you have, there is an empty grave." And he says, "I stand at the door knock. Welcome me into your marriage. I know it seems like it's on the eleventh hour. I know it seems like like there, there's just no hope in my marriage, but..." open the door and, and, and ask for his help. Uh, maybe uh, as, as a child that you're worried about, or maybe as a student you're worried about something about your life direction, or, or I don't know what it is for you, but for every fear there's an open grave. And he's standing at the door and he's saying, open up your heart and receive me into your life. They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. And there they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true. The Lord has risen and appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. Would everybody turn with me? You've been looking at your study outlines on one page of your insert there in the magazine. And if you turn to the next page, in the upper right-hand corner, would everybody do that? And there you'll see it says how to become a follower of Jesus. And there's a little suggested prayer there. And what I'm going to do right now is I'm going to pray this prayer out loud. And I invite you to pray it silently as I pray out loud. And this is God's invitation to you to open up your heart uh, to Jesus. And so would you pray silently as I pray out loud? Dear God, thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, to earth. I believe Jesus was who he said he was. And he proved it by rising from death. I want to discover and begin following your plan and purpose for my life. I want to get to know you personally. Thank you, Jesus Christ, for dying for me and forgiving all my sins. Right here, right now, in Pomona, California, Easter 2017 at the Fairplex. I receive you as my Lord and Savior. Thank you for your free gift of eternal life. And I pray this in Jesus' name and all God's family said, amen.